<laughs> so, they, were, they were the highest bees in Chicago. That's what we, what we yeah, we had a tagline of yeah, the highest bees in Chicago. So we were open air, on the roof, and that location was great for the bees. Hi, I'm Julia Radhakrishnan, and this is Quadcast, a weekly series that highlights different RSOs on campus and investigates their contribution to UChicago's culture. This week, I sat down with Cameron Godoba and PJ Wilkins, both of whom are active students in Phoenix Farms. Phoenix Farms is UChicago's premier urban agriculture organization. Cameron, PJ, and I got to talk about how they engage with the Southside and student communities through beekeeping and gardening, as well as some of their upcoming projects. Thank you so much for agreeing to meet with me today. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks yeah. for having us. To kick things off, do you think you guys could tell me what Phoenix Farms is? Phoenix Farms is what we like to call the university's premier urban gardening and beekeeping group. So we have basically two branches, Harbor Hives, which is in charge of beekeeping, and Avant Gardens, which is in charge of the gardening aspect. So I'm here as a representative of the gardens, and PJ is more of our beekeeping side. Mm -hmm. And really what the organization is, on top of being a hobby where we you know do garden and produce foods and fruits we also beekeep and have the products of beekeeping one of our core goals is education education of undergraduate students and people on the university community but also the community at large so we do a lot of teaching events uh, we're involved with cascade and then making partnerships with local organizations that are involved in uh, food sustainability efforts more broadly and how did you two get involved where did the interest sort of arise for you guys for me, it was uh, a good friend of mine and I are, you know, fancy ourselves as like, we're worldly and know how to do things. So at some point we got onto a Phoenix Farms list host and then emails kept being sent out like, hey, we're doing hive check-ins or hey, we're selling today or tomorrow and we can never make it. And there was an email sent out saying, sign up to sell honey. And we said, you know, this is it. And then we signed up. There's a picture of uh, her and I selling honey. And then that picture started being used in a bunch of Phoenix Farms promotional material, mm-hmm. even though we were not like <laughs> qualified to be there. But then I felt like, you know, an urge to live up to that. We both have a good friend named John Havlick, who kind of was one of the founders of the group. And I was actually just volunteering in the emergency room with him. And he said, hey, Cameron, I have bees and we're going to do a bee club. And I'm like, all right, really? Like you have bees on campus? He's like, yeah, 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 just come to the meeting, come to the meeting, come to the meeting. I'm like, all right, fine. He pestered me enough. And then I came and I was like, this is amazing. What can I do? Where do you guys keep bees on campus? All right. (laughs) So that's that's the first question. Right now has a very complicated answer. Where they were traditionally for the past few years on Harper Court. So that's at 53rd, you know, where there's Chipotle and there's a couple restaurants. Um, There's a 12-story building that's actually owned by UChicago Facilities. And our bees were on top of that building. (laughs) <laughs> they, so, were, they were the highest bees in Chicago, is what we, what we Yeah, we had a tagline of yeah, the highest bees in Chicago. So we were open air, on the roof, um, and that location was great for the bees. Shockingly, because you, know, you would think they don't want to be there, but they're not disturbed. They can kind of do their own thing. They have a large flight path. It was a little inconvenient for us and for engaging people who weren't UChicago students, because to get up there, you needed security passes and had to go to the front desk and then get taken up by security. But we were pretty content to stay there. That was until uh, there was an air conditioning unit that displaced us, <laughs> basically. New construction. New construction, so we had to move. And so the past year has really been a process of finding where to put our hives now. You know, winters are hard for bees, especially in mm-hmm. Chicago. So actually there's a, Bill Whitney is a local beekeeper in Illinois, 
who takes Chicago-based bees in a truck and drives them out to California. And this is part of a... Yeah. yeah. A <laughs> it sounds insane. Because they have all those almonds out there, and they need, like, two hives per acre, and they have, like, more acreage than the entire city of Chicago. They need two million hives in California yeah. to pollinate the almonds. And so they are paying big money to take your take yeah. bees. And so there's this whole bee trade that's happening, actually. Yeah. They're moving, you know, going to California and then up to Washington and then east. But they're coming back now. Yeah. And they will be at two locations, hopefully. So one, we already have confirmed, is Growing Home, which is a urban agricultural hub in Inglewood. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll have three hives there. And then we're also expanding to three more hives to First Presbyterian Church of Chicago, which is just on 64th and Gimbark. Mm-hmm. And so that location is really nice because the church is beautiful, one, <laughs> but also is partnered with local growing organizations as well as it's close to campus. So growing home is a little farther away, and so mm-hmm. we wanted to provide an opportunity for people who can't make it too far to be able to keep bees with us. Can you tell me a little bit about the urban gardening side of Phoenix Farms? Yes, it's multifaceted, right? The bees need things to pollinate, and the plants need the bees to pollinate them. So it's really a, a cohabitation. It's really It works really well together. And so we had this garden off in Washington Park. We ended up um, being displaced from there and found that there is a garden on campus that's behind the Smart Museum, which is called the Avant Garden, that was just really being just not used well. It, when we took it over, it was pretty much primarily mint weed plants and tomatoes that just weren't being cared for at all. And so we asked facilities if we could just take it over and be in charge of it. So that's that's our primary garden of operation. But because we uh, view ourselves as more of a community group, we do a lot of our work in community garden areas around the Chicago South Side. So volunteering for cleanups or helping harvests or whatever they need. But one of the things that we found when we've been doing this is that oftentimes community gardens go very neglected, and it's really quite a lot of work to keep a garden going and, and providing fruit and vegetable for the amount of effort that's being put into it. And so we've really started to move towards this new paradigm called a food forest. And so what a food forest is, is uh, perennial fruiting trees and bushes that are low maintenance, that come back every year, that don't require you to constantly go and weed and prune and, and water this model's worked in other areas, like especially along like Seattle and Washington, but we really want to move it to Chicago. There's not really a true food forest in Chicago. And so part of the issue with that has been land acquisition. So so really we've we've kind of turned into almost a land acquisition group <laughs> at this point. Community gardens are great, but people the people who need them most don't have the time to to maintain them as much as they need to be. And so we're really trying to to shift towards this different paradigm of, of lower maintenance, higher yielding trees and bushes. So that's that's kind of where we're at right now. The garden is going well on campus. We just planted it. But one of the things we're trying to do with the church that we're moving to is they have a number of plots of land around them that we could potentially use as a food forest starting point. Yeah, so that's really um, the, the big dream plan yeah, of ours. And the, the reason picture. it is is because... The way you can tie the two branches of our organization together mm-hmm. well is in food education and food security. Yeah. And community gardens do really well at food education. But like Cameron just said, they are extremely high maintenance. Mm-hmm. And so kind of paradoxically, they don't solve the food security issue in almost any way. Yeah. Because they only can provide very limited amounts of food for those that are able to tend them 
consistently. And consistently actually means three to five times a week. So the food forest, on the other hand, is a much more sustainable, lower commitment on the community's part way to provide fresh and healthy food for a large region. Right. Um, and so that's kind of the dream of what we're working towards. And with the food forest, once you know it gets up and running, mm-hmm. what's the objective with the food that you get from it? Would it be sold so you can continue to grow, or what's the end game? In theory, we would like to place them in real food desert areas, areas that don't have access to produce and freshly grown fruits and vegetables. So in theory, it would be available to the community. We're not looking necessarily at them as a source of profit. Our goal is to get them started up. We don't want to like be the people who go in and then like it's our food forest. We're the ones in, in charge of it. We've really been trying to make community partners. We want them to be supported by the people that they're for. But the goal is for it to be a source of, of fresh fruit and produce. Like, feel free to come take what you want. We're able to get funding through other sources. We're not dependent on, on selling the things that come from it. It's really just there to be a community-focused center. And the community partners aspect is really essential because mm-hmm. we we recognize our limitations as a student group, Yeah. right? Yeah. And that's something that we've had to wrestle with and think about a lot, especially if we're talking about bigger projects like a food forest yeah. is there's turnover in the group on a scale that is much smaller than the time scale of our projects. Yeah. And so it's essential for us to have community partners where we don't necessarily put the work on them, but there's a long-standing partnership that can be maintained for long enough to make these projects real and worthwhile to everyone who's involved. Mm-hmm. And another aspect of the community partnerships and why the food forest itself is good is because it's not us going in and saying, we know what's right, and so we'll do it. Right. But it's also not us going in and educating and then leaving. Right. Because then, without infrastructure, nothing happens. The onus is not on the community itself to maintain it completely. Right. Because a food forest can be maintained reasonably by just a team of two or three people. Right. And so that can be students that can be right. community members the point is it doesn't need to be a large organization right yeah. it's, it's a much more sustainable effort and and the way that we're hoping to keep it sustainable is by really engaging the community with it it's it's not a u chicago student group it, it's a community effort that's supported by our student group and to be more specific about it because what does it mean to give food to a community this isn't fleshed out yet but one idea is for example the church that we're working with operates a food bank from their church. Yeah. And so every Sunday and also on Thursdays sometimes, they are a food bank. And so if we pr- have fresh produce grown on site, there's an easy right. connection between those two. Now, right. that connection hasn't happened yet, might not happen, but that's the idea. If we can connect to community organizations that already have their foot in providing healthy solutions and sustainable solutions to their community, then we can just plug into there and amplify that. Can you guys tell me what a typical meeting or a typical day in Phoenix Farms looks like for you guys, if there even is a typical uh, meeting? It definitely depends on what what the day is. Um, A lot of the thing that we value with, with the group is that members can really make what they want of it. There's always different ideas and different subgroups working on them. So on a typical meeting, we'll be we'll be updating about what's happening in the garden and what's happening with the bees because those are the main ones. And then we'll kind of just break off once we once we've done that and people will be working on different projects. So we'll have one person, I think PJ here is working on 
data analysis for like Hive data for the, a project. Uh, we have people that are working on sales. One student, we had all this beeswax, right? Because one of the byproducts of harvesting honey is beeswax. He's like, yeah, we're not doing anything with it. Like, just give it to me and I'll go make like lip balms and lip plumpers and lip scrubs. And we're like, yeah, absolutely. If that's what you want to do, like we will fully support that. So it really does vary by who's there and, and what they want to work on. Yeah, it's kind of overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I yeah. go, yeah. I go to a it's, meeting, I'm, I'm reminded of how much we're doing and thinking, yeah. "Wow, yeah, we're pretty sweet." Yeah, um, we do a lot. We do a lot, and yeah. So a general meeting is really a kind of a debrief. We're kind of trying to transform our approach to general meetings now yeah. because we are a urban farming and urban beekeeping group, but there is limited amount of time that you need to be beekeeping and farming, mm-hmm. right? So a Phoenix Farms meeting, we're not really doing the work right. that you like you would think we're doing that happens like hive check-ins for bees you only need to do them once a week and so that's on saturdays and then once you have the watering schedule set up for the garden and you have your check-ins on fridays that's its own thing yeah so. and especially when you have a seasonal rso yeah which is a weird project too <laughs> where in the winter it's Okay, we don't have bees. We don't have a garden. We don't have a garden. <laughs> what do we do? What do we do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's when all the different projects line up. So, uh, yeah, I'm working on a hive health data analysis project in partnership with a company called Broodminder that makes sensors for beehives. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also working on creating our own beehives, like mm-hmm. designing them and then also woodworking and actually mm-hmm. building them ourselves. We have people working on wax products. We are currently teaching a class on food sustainability and urban beekeeping through Cascade. Um, Which is the program that takes high school students to campus for five weeks, mm-hmm. one day a week, and then different groups on campus can teach them. So we, we, we've signed up to teach a class for this time. Yeah, so there is no typical meeting, but I think the goal of ours going forward is to change typical meetings to be more education-focused mm-hmm. for general members. Yeah. Because what we found and what is a, a th- kind of unfortunate from our perspective is there's a lot of people who want to be engaged with us who don't really know how to do it and also aren't sure if they are. We would like to start educating general members more on what beekeeping is, why pollination is important, Mm -hmm. food sustainability issues, the food forest, Mm -hmm. and so we can arm them with information so that when it's our time to shine, you know, when we can actually farm or teach or beekeep, uh, we have more people prepared to do that. Yeah, and and so even right now, we're, we're starting a speaker series called What's the Buzz? Um, where we're going to bring in different, we have a, a yeah, we have a talk coming. Our first one is on Monday, May twentieth, uh, at four thirty p.m. in Barley Trophy Lounge. But this is we're bringing in Mike Rusnak, who a great beekeeper. Yeah, is like a seasoned beekeeper from the Illinois area. He actually taught the first beekeeping class that I took, and he'll be talking about what he wished he knew before he started getting into beekeeping. And so the speaker series is part of our effort to educate the campus community. Like you guys were saying, I think a lot of the U Chicago student community probably doesn't know a whole lot about beekeeping and gardening on a regular basis. So just for our listeners, could you give me an idea of what something like a hive check-in would look like? That's a great question because I had no idea when I first went to my hive check-in. So there's kind of two different answers to this. First, I'll answer it is what it would look like for a student doing a hive Mm check-in with us because... That's very low barrier to entry. And so what a hive actually looks like is it's not hanging in a tree like Winnie the Pooh, as you might think, as I thought. <laughs> They're really just like four by four 
boxes, like wood boxes stacked on each other, and then inside those boxes there are what we call frames, which are essentially slits of hexagonal tiles, really, where bees will build out their comb. And so inside those boxes, you have thousands and thousands of bees. You have various goals, but the basic is, I want to make sure that my bees are healthy. And so the ways that you check if your bees are healthy is, um, make sure there's a queen, because if there's not, uh, you're in trouble. Yeah. You know, check for pests. The way you do that really is you open the hood of this thing, which is just you take off the top and there's bees happening all over. And then we provide bee suits. Yeah. So everyone, if you as much as you want, you're loaded up in a bee suit, safe. And you look at the bees and you pull out some frames to see if they're drawing out wax or comb. And then you try to find signs of brood, which is uh, babies, basically. And if you find ones that are recent, you know that there's a queen. You look that your general numbers are doing well and that your comb is being drawn out, and then you're good. If you come back the next week, maybe you have a different goal. Your bees should be transitioning into more honey production than brood production. Mm -hmm. So then you will look at the bottom box, which should be mostly babies, and then you say, okay, this is almost full, and then you can actually put on another box, and that will entice the bees to start drawing out more comb and then producing honey. My first hive check-in, we were actually installing bees. Uh, What does that mean? Because I had no idea. So you can order a, a pouch or a box of bees, and that's just a thing that you can get delivered to you, uh, which means that someone drives with them in their car, which is incredible. Yeah. Um, but you get a box of bees, and you have your woodware equipment, and your goal is to shake all the bees from the box that was delivered to you into this bigger box that will be your hive. The queen is kind of excluded in her own little capsule, and so you protect her, and then kind of I'm like making this movement yeah you violently shake (laughs) all of the bees into the other box and you try to get them in there and then once you think they're in there you just take the queen and embed her little cage in there and you're good and that was my first job at Harper Hives was making sure the queen didn't escape which is horrifying because if she does you all your bees are gone I have to say the the garden check-ins are, are much less complicated. Not, not 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 that that's a good or a bad thing. They're just different. Whereas the garden check-in is just kind of look around and see that things are growing. Most of our work is done in the planting stages and deciding what we're going to grow. And then once we plant it all and start watering, it's it's really just weeding, pruning, and and, and monitoring. But a, a general garden check-in will just be to come try a fruit, f- try food that's ready. We already have food that you can eat right now that's grown back from from last year learn what's growing where because that's always we have a little map we have to reference like what was in that corner oh right it's eggplant or whatever we're growing like last year we had an aphid infestation on our some of our plants and we had uh japanese beetles and other ones and so some of it's just killing japanese beetles around the garden <laughs> but that's that's a futile task what we're trying to say is we're uh, essentially pest control yeah <laughs> you're, 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 you're pest controlling and, and then watering happens throughout the week during it when it's drier so how can people get involved with Phoenix Farms? The interesting thing about Phoenix Farms is we're one of the few summer-focused RSOs. Our beekeeping primarily happens and our gardening primarily happens over the summer. So any students who are staying around this summer are, are welcome to get involved. We will be active through the entire duration. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a general yeah. interest meeting. And we actually up. have a meeting yep. about how to engage with us over summer coming yep. up, and that will be on Thursday, May 16th at 6 p.m. in Harper 140. Mm-hmm. Of course, there aren't people who are around over summer, and so I would encourage them. The best ways to engage with us then are, one, being on our list host, which is just phoenixfarms at uchicago.edu. Mm-hmm. That's our email as well. 
you'll get all the info about what meetings are happening when mm-hmm. and signups for whatever events we're doing. We also have social media, so Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, mm-hmm. that's all at Phoenix Farms. And if you ever just see us around, hit us up. <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're really very happy to have people involved in the group. One, because it takes a lot of effort to keep these things going. Um, two, because, like we said, longitudinal engagement is difficult when you have such high student turnover, and the only way to do it is to have people who are new and engaged. And, and three, just because like, that's our goal, right? We want to educate the community, and we, we love what we're doing. We love gardening and beekeeping, and we love other people to also love it. Thank you so much, guys. This has been great. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Quadcast. I'm Julia Radhakrishnan. A special thanks goes out to the Logan Cage staff for providing audio equipment. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so you don't miss next week's episode of Quadcast.